0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Rev Covery, the podcast where uh, former pastors uh, talk about what life is like now and and how, how good it is, how strange it is, how curious it is to walk out of this thing called ministry. My name is Justin Gentry. I was a pastor in uh, wildly evangelical spaces for about 12 to 15 years, depending on how you count these things. And now I'm not that. I do podcasts as well as project management and this, that, and the other. And I'm quite happy where I'm at. I have a lovely co-host from on the other side of the world, really. (laughs) And She's going to introduce herself now.
1: Hi, I'm Sarah Heath, and I am a United Methodist pastor who is currently serving as an extension minister, doing all kinds of things from coaching people on how to leave ministry in a good way to, I don't know. I just love that you started this, Justin, when you start the show, it is, it it goes off on a different way and I love it. So thank you.
0: I don't know what's going to come out until it does. So it's so good.
1: It's so good. (laughs) So yes, uh, we are two former clergy who love to talk to folks who have Transitioned in ministry, who also were like thinking about ministry in a different way. I am so excited tonight because we're interviewing an actual friend of mine. So this is Kevin Sweeney, who wrote a book that comes out like in two minutes. Guys, go pre-order. Pre-order it today. I just need you to know it's called "The Making of a Mystic: My Journey with Mushrooms, My Life as a Pastor, and Why It's Okay for Everyone to Relax," which only makes sense when you know that kevin currently is living in hawaii just living his best life it is uh but
2: but, but i'm but i'm not i'm not relaxing because i'm in hawaii i'm in hawaii because i'm relaxing so Uh, you know it's just i'll I'll take it back it does actually helps never mind it actually does help quite a bit (laughs) i'm looking at the view outside your window and i'm like yeah i would relax for sure i don't do this for everybody but This is like downtown, the the harbor, the ocean's like right out there. I am two blocks from the water right now. So hello.
1: Hello, you're doing it. (laughs) You're doing it. So Kevin, tell us about what we would love to hear from folks in the beginning. It's just sort of like, tell us about your journey in ministry, how you ended up there. Because yours, Mm. as someone who knows you, I know that yours is not the typical, like, I grew up in a Christian home. Would you mind sharing a little bit about how you ended up in ministry and then kind of we'll transition from there?
2: Yeah, and I appreciate that. I do want to begin, you know, I, and I mean this as a first-time author for anybody, any podcast host, co-host to take a risk, take a chance, or just give me the opportunity to be on is so meaningful because they're not just small steps towards the release of the book in this tr- season of transition I'm in, which we can get into. They're small steps towards this entire threshold moment of my life and change. So. I'm grateful for both of you just for taking the time and having me on. So I do want to begin with that. And yeah, I, I, it's funny, right? Before I started doing all these interviews, my mom was visiting here and we had this unexpected, really real conversation about, you know, my life as a kid. And I went to Catholic school, first, second, third grade.
1: Oh, that part. I I think I yeah. do remember that. Yeah. yeah I went yeah. to
2: Catholic school, first, second, third grade. And you know, this is this is a fourth grade. I go to public school, L.A. Unified School District, whatever public school in my neighborhood. My first day there, I'm like, man, kids are cussing. Sooner, kids are cussing and fighting all the time, and it's not that big a deal. And at my, my nine year old self, that was salvation. To me at that point, I'm like, people fight and cuss and it's not that big a deal. It's like, I'm here. It's fine. There's enough space for me to become whoever I've been created to be because nice. this is my world. Nice. And like, it wasn't that long after I stopped going to mass and it wasn't some, I'm leaving the church as if it's some stance. I wasn't nailing, you know, crayon on top of paper to my parents wall. Here's the reasons I'm not going to church anymore. <laughs> it was like, I don't want to do this. And um, my mom told me that when that happened, my she wanted to push it on me a little more. My dad was like, just let him be like he's old enough to choose that. And we're not going to do that to him, which I'm really grateful for. And I told my mom I left that experience in Catholic church as a kid with what I call a pleasant indifference. I was like, the good part is. I had no oppositional energy towards the church. I had no antagonism. I had no, I was like, that was okay. But I also wasn't like hot on fire. For God, <laughs> I had never heard that term.
1: Oh, I wait, also, don't come. It yeah. oh, I yeah.
2: wasn't, I also wasn't like, that's what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't think I've ever heard that phrase.
1: Yeah, no, within Catholicism, I mean, I, I always laugh at me in Canada and writing back to my friend, like calling my friends when I moved to America. And I was like, he's on fire for Jesus. And my friends were like, I don't know what that means.
2: <laughs> They're all That's an American yeah. thing. You're yeah, like, really? That's
1: concerning. I thought it was like is he okay? Are you yeah. in a cult? What do we put do? Him,
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, put him out. Like this is
2: <laughs> do not do that. What or, do we do? Or, or someone with more wisdom was like, that fire will go out eventually. Yeah, 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 eventually just, yeah. that burns out pretty quick. And that's why, like, after that, so into my teenage years, my world was, it was just indifferent towards God, Jesus, church. It didn't exist to me. It just didn't matter, good or bad. And I'm grateful for that because it created this really open, spacious, fertile place for the potential of something real to be born in the future. And that's, you know, I have a, for people listening, I have a chapter in the book called Mushrooms and Missionaries. (laughs) And it's I about-
1: love, Like it's when I about, met you, I met you. I just need everyone to know. I'm The first time I ever saw Kevin, and he didn't know me at the time, I was taking a break from my position. And so I was at a different church that our friend used to lead and no longer leads. And uh, I remember just thinking, this guy, is, uh, he's your standard evangelical, pa- great preacher. But like the fact that you have a chapter called Mushrooms and Missionaries, I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, Kevin was way more my kind of guy than I thought he was. <laughs>
2: And I have another chapter called more mushrooms yes, in the most yes, important moment of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So nice, I love For me, that was a non-negotiable in the title. I was like, this is staying. I
1: love it. And still got it published.
2: And yeah. And that's why the chapter mushrooms and missionaries is, you know, I tell a story in that, how a young Thomas Merton, when he was the great 20th century Catholic monk and mystic Merton, when he was heading towards his own awakening and enlightenment experience, he met with there was this visiting really famous hindu priest and monk named mahanam brata brahmachari who was visiting and lecturing at like divinity schools or something and merton talks to him you know it's like you know it's someone at a conference like oh shoot there there they are go go -hmm. talk to him now there's an opening (laughs) go 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 and then you're like oh man someone else talked to him and so merton had some version of that with this hindu monk and merton asks him for guidance and brilliantly, this Hindu monk doesn't tell young Merton to read the Bhagavad Gita. It doesn't tell him to read his own sacred text. He tells Merton to read St. Augustine's Confessions and Thomas Akempis' Imitation of Christ. Now, let's say those get integrated into his journey on the way towards becoming this amazing Christian monk, etc. I said, I don't think it was in that Hindu monk's job description to be a missionary for Jesus or for Christ. Now, let's little sidebar let's suspend the urgent need which we all take very seriously to disentangle that word missionary from all of its sexist imperialist colonial white supremacist empire building agenda because we know it's wrapped up in that Uh We yep. all need to, I believe we all need to keep doing our work of dismantling, disentangling and moving on from that in our own context. So just to let you know. Now I'm back. The healthy, part, the healthy part of that word, though, is, well, a missionary can embrace the humble role of pointing someone further towards Christ. They're not the point they're pointing. That's a beautiful thing. If you can embrace that. I said in the same way he was a missionary. For Thomas Merton, mushrooms were the missionary for me, pointing me beyond themselves to the possibility of the source of the truth that I kept getting a glimpse of when I was on them, that I kept feeling them calling me beyond them towards. So in that chapter, the the first time I did mushrooms, I was 16. And the last time I was 18, from Mm -hmm. 16 to 18, I did them 10 times. And the last time at 18, when I had that profound spontaneous, real spontaneous awakening moment with God, which I tell the story in the book, that was the last time I did them. And the whole story is in the book. But one of the reasons why is because I always sensed in the mushrooms, them saying to me, yes, but keep going. Yes. And you're getting a glimpse of the goal. You're tasting that, which is in its fullness and the future you're seeing and that seeing here on the peak is giving you just enough energy to keep going on the journey towards the possibility of what I'm hoping exists out there. But because I've never heard of youth group in my damn life, I don't know if anything's no one's ever <laughs> yeah. told me anything about anything, you know? So yeah. here,
1: if you're, if you're just catching up, this is a Catholic school kid who then goes to public school, starts doing mushrooms. and's like, maybe I should figure out what missionaries it are. Is, it's Jesus.
0: Maybe, it's maybe, Jesus after all. Maybe, maybe God is a thing. <laughs> uh-huh.
2: So that, you know, those whole stories in the book and my journey towards them, the role mushrooms played, the experience I had in that awakening moment is all very detailed in the book because it's so important. But when you, the qu- original question about ministry was everything from that moment at 18, that moment of being undone, like I'll tell people, one of the ways to understand prayer is allowing yourself to fall apart in the presence of God. And my life was being undone and I was letting myself fall apart so much. So leading into that, that when I had this first encounter with Christ, it was so truly consciousness rewiring and life altering that ministry for me was like within the next two years, somehow I'm like, I think God's calling me to be a pastor. And I never even knew if that was a thing. (laughs) I just started, that's a whole story in and of itself. But, you know, within a couple of years, I just started sensing my whole life is being a guide for others towards the fullness of life and the experience I just had, which still I'm 37 and it still is like, it really still is. That moment was that radical of a moment and the flow continued. So.
1: And so you ended up, so I'm imagining you in college. Oh man. <laughs> where, where did you go to school? What was that? Like knowing that you have this like weird thing because you're 18 when you're like, Man, this is a big thing. In, but you don't have all the trappings. So, so many of our listeners have had the experience of like, I went to youth group. I felt like the only way I could be a good Christian was for me to go into ministry. But you had none of those trappings. You're just like, I don't know what this thing is, but I'm going to run after it.
2: Yeah, I was like the first time I ever went on a missions trip. We went to like a different island in Hawaii where we're basically just like renovating a building, you know, for <laughs> the church. And it was like... They're doing worship around a fire on the beach, and some kids on his knees singing. So I'll let my words be few. Uh-huh. Jeez, <laughs> like uh-huh. I had never been around that. Uh-huh. I had no experience. I'm like, this is cool. Like I Great. don't never been. Around- <laughs> okay,
0: like good and bad flashbacks for me right now. When, yeah, 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 When, when I was eight, when yeah. yeah
2: when I was eighteen, I left Los Angeles and moved to Hawaii. My then girlfriend was out there already. Great, and who's now my wife.
1: Yeah. 18 and, guys. If you didn't yeah. find her then you're not gonna find her now. I'm just kidding.
2: Yeah. And, and you know, what's funny about, you know, what you thought about me when you saw me preaching was someone on, on a different podcast was joking about what they thought about me too. Was similar. <laughs> Cause I told them, that, I told them the story of how my wife and I met my wife and I met coming out of a house party in Los Angeles that got broken up by the cops when we were both 16 and we went to different schools in LA. And I used to be just be able to get arrested on site as a kid. Cause I'm always <laughs> high. I'm selling weed, you know, I have liquor on me or whatever at any moment. And so I come out of the party, I'm like, I gotta jump in a car. And I just go in a car of a girl I barely know. And the back seat is this girl from another school who's now married to 20 over 20 years later. And, and I
0: love
2: this. And, and one of the funny things is one of the first things my wife ever said to me when we first started hanging out with mutual friends, she was like, She's like, Look, I don't know what any of my friends see in you. I don't think you're cute. Don't ever try to hook up with me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and this is why I also love her. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and great. then 20 years later you know we're doing lay day with two kids in hawaii and we're at I the beach it. so so she so moves to
1: hawaii and she goes to hawaii her.
2: And, I, and I, I walked away from, I was supposed to play basketball in college. I started recording music in high school and got offered some money by this like well-known local drug dealer in the neighborhood. It's all in the book, by the way. So you guys can it's learn that so story. It's so good, guys. It's so good. I
0: love how it's like this well-known local. I'm thinking, okay, music producer. Oh, no, it's a drug dealer. Got it. Okay.
2: I mean, you, you know, <laughs> starting to record is expensive. You got to get yeah, the funding is, from somewhere. Sure. That's where I'm tapped in. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And I, I went to Hawaii and started over completely invisible. Nobody knows me. Nobody cares about me. No one gives me props. No one see like my whole life was, I want other people to see me because that's the thing that gives me a sense of self. And I had this experience of God. I was like, well, the I, the center, the eyes at the center of the universe, see me, that's all I've ever wanted. Now my whole life is this and moved to Hawaii and no one saw me. And every day I was forced to ask that question, is God seeing me enough? Cause nobody else does is this gaze of love that's fixed upon me that never changes can i learn to actually become the person who trusts that forever so i moved there and i went to university of hawaii we were here for three four years my wife graduated and then i ended up at life pacific college which is a four square bible college in san Dimas, california <laughs> i'm so oh, sorry a
1: real person
2: <laughs> and i'm so sorry and that, and wow. and think about that was my first time really around a lot of christians <laughs> wow sorry i'm not laughing at
1: you i'm laughing
2: and i was like oh so people go barefoot and strum a guitar as they walk between classes this Mm -hmm. is interesting you know spontaneous (laughs)
0: worship all the time
2: and i you know and and what's funny about and i had a great experience in the sense of like great people loving people like it was it was good for me to meet christians because i was scared with my background i'm like it was good for me to know we can come from really different places and we're and we're cool like I can be around kids who are homeschooled, and we never would have hung out. But I'm like, now we're we have a similar thing, and that's amazing, and that was important for me. And you know, they would be talking about speaking in tongues like it's just crossing the street at a green light, like it's no big deal. You know, they're like, <laughs> and you're like, I'm and, sorry, what? <laughs> and and I, I I remember being there, and they just tell stories in class. These because a lot of teachers like they're like teachers, but they're like pastors you know, they've, who've been around for a long time. They're not all PhD folks, you know, some are, No,
1: they're not most aren't. but
2: yes. (laughs) And, you know, it's like, we prayed for this guy who was four feet tall. And I came back a year later and he's six feet tall leading worship (laughs) in the Philippines. And I'm like, all right. Okay. So hold up. Everyone else just glossed over this because when I saw that, when I saw that, you know, the Jesus camp, that documentary, when I saw that back then, this is like, you know, 2007 ish. I'm like, this is kind of like fucking weird (laughs) and kids at my school were like, that's the, that's basically the camps we went to. I'm like, all right. So we definitely have different paths to get to where we are.
0: My favorite thing about that Jesus camp documentary, it was awful, but like they've got like five-year-olds. That are like, yep, yeah, I just, I was thinking about my life and all the, all the bad things I've done. All the things I've I, done where I'm headed. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> you're like, what have you, you done? Five? Five.
2: started smoking weed at three, bottom yeah. out at four and a half. And <laughs> now yeah. I'm here. It's like, <laughs>
0: no, like you just, you took like an extra cookie from your sister one time. And like, now you gave your life to the Lord.
2: Uh, you're probably going to steal cookies again. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, you know, I, I go there for a year or two. And then, uh, my wife and I got married in 2007, we moved to Costa Mesa. So we lived there for five years (laughs) after we got married. And I remember this is funny. So now I'm at Bible college, right? I'm like, I'm giving my life to this in a real way. Like I'm really wanting, I'm feel this pastoral calling and I'm very serious about that. So I go to school and they're they're giving me the foundational classic as conservative evangelical theology as you can get with their like flavor of Pentecostalism. And which is like, okay, this is a whole nother, I for, I think for, for me, when I heard those stories about healings and exorcisms, my, my first thing was like, I mean, I ate a bunch of mushrooms and now I'm a Christian. So like, I don't need this to not be weird. <laughs> so I was yeah. like open, you know, to anything. <laughs> nice. basically. Nice. I was like, yeah. Hey man, you do that. I do this. Yeah, Who knows? Cool. <laughs> and I remember, so I'm there and I'm, you know, I'm doing that. And at the end of my second year there, a kid comes up to me. And he said, "Hey." He said, "You should be really careful how you talk around here." And I'm like, "What? What do you mean?" And he said, "Well, if you keep talking like that, people are going to think you're emergent." <laughs> oh wow, that is a bl- that's a blast from the past. This 2000- yeah. is 2000. This oh, 2000. You know, eight. Yeah. So I mean, emergent was cracking at the time, right?
1: Yeah. Don't be yeah. emergent. That
2: was. Popping. Don't get the
1: Dan hair. That was like. And a, I was like, like a a I never.
2: I never heard what that was. Cause this was all new to me. The, 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 formal theological, all that stuff was new to me. And I said, Oh, okay. I should, I should probably read that. You know, I should know what it is. And that summer I read like Tony Jones, the new Christians. And I read, you know, Doug Paget's The Christianity worth believing. Then I just Great go guy. ham. I go, I go honey baked ham this whole summer <laughs> and just reading. That was the first time I discovered I can read, I can that. read like nonstop. You know, I didn't know that before. Cause I wasn't really reading that much. And I kept going and I was like, oh, that first massive paradigm shift when you look at stages of consciousness and developmental theories from blue to orange and green, from, from looking at the spiral from Fowler's three to four, whatever. I went through that and I came back like, okay, like the thing you told me I shouldn't be is the only thing that now makes sense to me. So yeah, you know. your I prohibition cannot. generated the desire that actually led me beyond what the school's offering me. And I had to go back to school that year and sit through it one more year. As I was like, I'm in such a different place now. And that led me to Fuller and add the, ne- the next year or whatever at Fuller. I focused on black and womanist theology. I thought I was going to do a PhD in like black theology and womanist thought and white. I mean, like I joke around during the pandemic. I'm like, okay, the word of the year in 2020 was systemic racism. So for some people, that was the first time they had heard of that. Okay. No judgment. Everyone's on their own journey. I understand that. But for me, it's kind of like when you know a band early, I'm like, homie, I, when we lived in Costa Mesa 10 years ago, <laughs> I was talking about institutionalized white supremacy and no one gave a shit. And I would just be in the most awkward conversations with white pastors <laughs> oh over and over yes. because of where I was at yes. and what I was studying.
1: And I just love this because it's all the things that we think about. Like I think about the first time, like your wife, you were there. And I was just thinking, yeah, here's this like great little Christian family. They don't get where I'm coming from. They don't understand the under, like the, the, we just don't know the threads that people are going through. And I just love that now you and I are friends and I'm like, oh no, homie's been talking about systemic racism for a while.
2: (laughs) I'm like, with me and my wife, you know, both pastors, I'm like, dude, when we were at high school prompts together, I'm almost having to fight a bunch of guys because Christine's like arguing with somebody and like, she thinks I'm like, now I'm in the, she's throwing me in the mix. I'm like, all right, here we go. So it's funny to have a relationship that long where my wife's seen me in just the wildest, like out of control situations ever. You know, it's funny to have that history. It's really special, but you know, Fuller, I think I'm going to do a PhD there I had an advisor who was the head of the Black Theology Department, Ralph C. Watkins, who's at Columbia in Atlanta now. And right before my last year there, he announced he was leaving the school. And he, he emailed a group of us early and was like, hey, I can continue projects, but I can't start new ones like a PhD. So basically, I'm like, I, what I thought was the bridge to my future just crumbled in front of me. What I thought of the next five years of my life was going to look like all of a sudden a bridge and a path looks like I'm walking towards the edge. And within that opening, a friend of mine was dreaming about going back out to Hawaii and starting a church. I was always like, cool, like I'll do that with you, but I'm not that guy. You know, like, you're not that guy, pal. Like, I'm not that guy, pal. I'm not going to do that.
1: <laughs> and, yet- <laughs> and
2: just through that process, after like eight months of meeting together and talking about it and praying about it. His mom started to get sick and he was like, I don't think I'm gonna be able to go back to Hawaii. And I told him, I think this is mine to do regardless of whether or not you come. And he was like, I know. (laughs) I was like, you mother, you knew the whole time. (laughs) He just like, he like Jedi mind tricked me into starting a church and I didn't even know it. And then we came here and, you know, it's been a 10 year journey and we're like, we mentioned, you know, we're moving into the last chapter this month. We have like four Sundays left. So what yeah. is
1: next for you, my friend? I think because you and I haven't talked since you made the announcement, you were talking a little bit about what that looked like for you guys. But what does that mean for you as you think about stepping into something new?
2: Yeah, we at, around Christmas time, we surprised our kids with a trip to New York City on Christmas. So they opened their give us like tickets that night because I've been telling my daughter about it. because I was just out there for this event. And she was all hype. So I didn't know it was like Omicron capital of the universe when we made the, when we bought the tickets and it just got crazy. And when I, we, around Christmas break, my wife and I were like, we have to make a decision of whether or not we're truly going to announce this is going to close. And we're moving into the last chapter. And I walked the high line there. It's like this outdoor park railroad type of thing. And my last day, my second to last day there, I walked in a very slow, intentional, contemplative. I'm present and doing nothing. I'm just loving dialogue with God and myself, et cetera. And when I was walking, I said, Oh, it seems like every 10 years, my life's completely upended at 18. I walked away from everything and moved to Hawaii. It made no sense. Everybody's disappointed in me. People are hating on me at 28. I left Costa Mesa where we had some good roots and friendships and then moved back out here to start again. And I said, well, I'm 37. I'm about to be 38 and it appears I'm walking towards another one of those edges. And as hard as it is, as scary and uncertain because it does all those things just like at 18 and 28 I know I know exactly what I'm doing you know beneath that I do know and now it's I have you know this book's coming out May 31st I have a deal on a second book that's coming out January 3rd what yeah what yeah I just started honestly I started writing during the pandemic and I was like it was one of those things where you know, those amazing parts of our lives, like the gifts we have, the things we want to offer, where you always sense and know you can do it. And then the moment the season's right, the relationships or whatever is right. And the environment allows it to come forth and it's born. You're like, it's special, but deep down, you're like, I, I knew I could do that. Yeah. You know yep. what I'm saying? You're like, I know yeah, that totally. was in me. And that. And that's not arrogance. That is awareness of the uniqueness of who we are and what we have to give. And yeah, so that second book's coming out January third, and I'm like working on a third right now as these two are going. So I'm like, I have this 18 months from now until the end of next year. That's just how I'm looking at it, just kind of loosely as how I kind of plan. Don't plan, but just look ahead and so there's 18 months for for these books to come into the world, where the high, one of the highest values, if not the highest value for me in my vocational life, is just connections relationships, these moments, you know, whatever this means for the future, the the way the friendships develop, get opportunities, the collaborations, like that's what I want. There's so many people I can look at, but I want to teach with them. I want to work with them. I want to build with them. I want to create with them. And I have an idea of where that path is going, but the books are the main priority right now, traveling and meeting and doing more of that. And then, but really after I feel like I'll have some more clarity on another chapter at the end of next year. So in 18 months, that's just how I feel. And to be honest, coming at it, coming out of 10 years of pastoral ministry and starting a church, I, I'm like, I cannot lead anything consistent. I can't even think about it until then for 18 months. Cause you come out and you're fragile. You come out and you're like, man, that's a lot, you know, it's a lot to carry. It's a lot to take on. And that I even have thoughts right now where you think, yeah, a part of the cost of leading is you deal with little conflicts. You have conversations, you enter into those spaces, you hold spaces of truth. Sometimes it's you and others. Sometimes it's between others. And that that takes a lot to do that. And that's a hard part of the the invisible kind of cloak of leadership that you wear that people don't see. And what's normal in my my day-to-day life five years ago, right now, I'm like, one of those things feels like a lot to me right now, just because of where I'm at. And I feel it in my body and I know it. And I'm like, cool, I have 18 months, the writing this, you know, to be present, to just be in Hawaii and have a normal, like, you know what, this is Sunday morning. You know what I did today? My kids and I went, like, I was skating and they were scootering, like on this path near the beach. That's what we did. My daughter is five and like did a jump off of a thing. I'm like, that was it for me today, you know? We held hands in the car. I'm like, this is cool, man. Like I I get to be in Hawaii and just be here without Saturday night and my teaching and I got my my things. And uh, is the worship people coming? Like, dude, I'm an Enneagram five. Starting a church is my worst nightmare. (laughs) You understand that? Totally. My biggest unconscious fear growing up is throwing a party and having no one come and being the idiot that people laugh at. And every Sunday every Sunday is a version of that for seven or eight years. It's good. Cause you have to go in and through your greatest fears, but the organizational leadership, I just suck at and carry. There's so much parts of it that were so hard for me that aren't my natural flow that now I'm like, I'm so grateful for that. And it helped me become so much of what I needed to become, but damn, I can't do that. <laughs> I'm like, Hey, go ahead. Bless uh, you. We started a church. Blessings on you, my sister. Blessings on you, my brother. I'll be a friend to you. But like, no, nah.
0: I can't. You know I'll what see I mean? you
2: in 10 years. We'll share
0: more trade <laughs> we'll stories. <have> great- <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I. So kind of, can you maybe just slow it down a little bit? Can you walk through that process of, you know, you've been at the church for however many years and you've reached this turning point. Like, okay, I got to be done. Or I'm gonna I'm gonna begin closing this thing out. Like, what does that process look like for you? And if someone was going through that process, what maybe do they need to look out for?
2: Yeah, I will say I'll, I'll say I'm gonna answer that second question first because that's a quick thing. Then I'll go back to my own story. I know I've heard or and or read this before, but when you realize the less and less you're willing to suffer for your art, the more that the time might be coming for you to move on. Now that's true about art. That's true about anything, you know, like the parts of it that are hard, the showing up early, the stacking chairs, cause somebody didn't show up again, you know, and you're doing it alone, all that type of stuff when you're in that flow and that's where you're at, it's okay. You do it. You're like, it's hard, but it's a part of it. It's not a big deal. When you find yourself, when those things that used to be a part of the natural flow start to feel a lot heavier, you're like, okay, I think my energy's starting to shift. So when you find yourself less willing or overwhelmed by the small things that used to be a part of the flow. That's something to look at when you're looking at indications of where you're at seasonally. Now, my journey was I always sensed I would do this for about 10 years. I wasn't a lifelong I'm going to be a lead pastor forever. You know, it just, that's again, like that just, I'm not that type of driver. And I respect people who have that. I'm like, man, if you can keep innovating and caring and doing that after 10, 15 years, that's amazing to me. Cause that's just not me. And so I had, that's the background. And then, you know, COVID, like we had just transitioned to a new space out here, which was like, so sick. It's two blocks from my house. And it's just amazing space. And it went, you know, when you approach those big transitions and they go well, you're like, that is what I thought this was going to be. And it goes well. And we had one of those and then six months goes by and COVID hits and We didn't meet for 18 months, our church, and we were doing once a month, you know, drive-ins and like, they're meaningful for people, but another part, they just suck. Do they just so hard?
1: No one wants to admit that like, that just was weird. And we were trying to figure it out. Like we were like, as pastors having radio stations, like, can we talk about that? Like, just,
0: yeah, it was weird. You went from being this like presence in people's lives to now you're a radio host you're a producer your internet personality
2: trying to just make make shit up and i'm like the strength of imagine was like taste and see it was like it's special but you have to taste it well, what's different about it i don't know how to explain it you know people in your church i don't i don't know to explain to friend you just gotta see it and that's the power of imagine and we would say we're a presence-based community not an event-based community that's one of the things we would say and now you take away the presence it's like what if you know, a year, it's like 12 months in, it's like that person is, I don't think they're part of Imagine. What does that even mean? What does it even mean to be a part of Imagine? Like eventually the Sunday mornings, the digital ones on YouTube or whatever, whatever platform we use, I'm like, I don't watch them. I preached, I did it. You know, I wasn't putting that much time into those services at the end. I ain't going to lie, but I'm like, that was, I did that. And my wife would watch them. I'd be like, babe, if you if you need me to be here as like a support to watch this together, cool. If you don't, I'm gonna go watch a movie with the kids. Because I'm over it and I'm the one leading it. So what if other people don't come, it is what it is, you know. Like, and so that was just the 18 months of loss and there's a there's a highly honolulu is very transient like in new york city so it's like oh they're moving oh that couple's moving they're moving too oh they're moving like anybody in their mid-20s who wasn't from here post-college trying to make it they left because it's like you have no family no support here and it's i get it you just had a new kid you're gonna be by yourself in an apartment in hawaii with no family you you should go back to where you're from and it's just like, oh they're moving again what is this you know and And I started, it was weird because I started writing. So it was like energetically and creatively in my routines, I already made a transition to the next chapter in my life. 90% of my energy towards imagine was gone and it's going towards writing. And I was just so in that zone. And that was all hard. You know, I I remember there would be times where I'd have to look through imagine's Instagram for old photos or something, or I would just scroll and I would just let myself feel shitty because I'd be like, this used to be something I forgot. I really forgot. This was special, man. That picture, those people, this moment, I'm like, shit, we, we gave a lot to this and this used to be really special. And now I don't know what it is. And there's all that stuff. And we all of a sudden last summer, whenever it was, I had this sense of there's one more chapter for man There's another chapter for imagine to be born again. I had that deep sense the whole time during COVID and my wife and I, deep down, after watching the Michael Jordan doc, thought, this is the last dance for us. <laughs> I yeah. Like, you're for right. real. <laughs> I'm watching it, Michael. I'm like, damn it, dude, you're right. It's like, what are you going to do? It's bringing the horn. I know so
0: many people that watch that like, yep, yeah, this is it. This is the last dance. That's yeah. what I'm saying.
1: Yeah. Uh, if you are thinking about transitioning out of ministry, friends who are listeners, go ahead and watch the last dance.
0: Yeah. If it reduces yeah. you to tears,
2: then... That might be yeah. might be an yeah. indication
1: this is your last dance.
2: <laughs> yeah. And in the fall of last year, I thought, there's one more chapter for Imagine to be born again. We open, we go to this new, it was this great new, co-working space out here they had this like lanai which is in hawaii what you call like a big deck or a balcony it's like indoor outdoor super stick space i'm like this is so perfect they had things in place where you had to be vaxxed i'm like okay we kind of we roll where we do roll with that and make a conscious decision to do it i dealt with like the worst form of online harassment from people out here for doing that i've like ever dealt with online you know it was a lot it was tough and okay and then we open up and Maybe four to six weeks, I just started saying or thinking this is the last chapter, but it's not a chapter of rebuilding. This is, and the, and the end is a lot closer than I thought. And my imagination started to shift from being born again to like moving this into hospice care. And when I started to embrace that, it felt very right. No matter how hard it was, it felt right. And it felt good.
1: Is the community not continuing after you?
2: No, there's no... Hey, maybe this person, like, if it was non-COVID, you know, years ago, and there it could have been. I, I honestly, some communities are so unique, it's really hard to find another person to lead it. And Hawaii has a very, very conservative Christian culture. Very. It's like, I've had friends come here and go to church, so they're like, cool, so the 1998's alive and well, with the matching pastels and blue lights on stage, and we're still singing, I am... I don't even know, you know. For what the, those of you who are would, like, listening <laughs> and
1: not getting to see the visual, which is all of you, Justin is squirming in his chair. I'm, like... I'm
2: like
0: uncomfortable by that right now. Ooh. Like uh, they still doing from the, that. He world. knows my name. Oh no, he knows. <laughs> yeah, like forty times on repeat. You know. Yeah. Rough. The, if the spirit didn't come after like the fourth time you sang that it, it's, it's time not to happening <clears let's> this <throat> <just throat> is not coming i don't you know, know to tell the you. dave crowder
2: cover band is just not doing it for us folks <laughs> <laughs> and i started to sense that and when i started to transition to that hospice care metaphor it was felt right and it made sense and it felt all of a sudden it was a huge relief and I had like a, a weird renewed sense of energy to be present during the last season because I knew it was the last season. That's, that's the wisdom of hospice care.
1: I think it's really important to for a minute stop in here. It's like that whole moment of like, how do I know it's done? And what's the difference between hospice care versus like caring for something to then pass it on?
2: Absolutely. And then
1: I am going to sit in this there's grief right the moment you realize oh this is not going to continue and i gave i like raised money for this i traveled back to california and convinced people this was the thing and then i realized no this isn't this is just part of the thing i think there's like that deep pain that so many people that listen to this podcast are in and going okay well i think i'm done or i think this thing is done and to hear that like The moment you make that real, there is the potential for, okay, so now it looks like something that is incredibly fulfilling in a weird way, right? Like, okay, I'm doing hospice care. What's the difference between that and just trying to make it? Because we're in a hustle culture. We don't like hospice. We don't like to admit that things die, but life includes death.
2: See, and this is where, you know, My experience pastorally was unique from some of my friends in this way. A lot of my friends, they're like in their twenties, they're learning new things. Let's say if they're growing and evolving and they're like, I'm going to start a, a more wider, inclusive, more hopeful version of the faith. That's awesome but like their, their ministry was tied in, still intertwined with their first half of life project. If I make a special name for myself, I'm going to make it as this. Whereas my, my vocational ministry wasn't tied into that project. That was when I was young in music and stuff that I walked away from. The reason why I say that is a lot of the ministry and leadership stuff, I sucked at. So I would ask my friends, how do you scale something? How, like, how, like, I'd be six years into imagining.
0: 20 <laughs> yeah, minutes. Yeah. Dude,
2: that's my whole life. I'm like six <laughs> years into imagine. I'm not, I'm seriously not lying. It's like 20 minutes before a meeting and I would Google what to do in a meeting. <laughs> Cause I don't know. Do no. yeah. <laughs> and I've been doing it. And every time a meeting came around, which we didn't have very many, to be honest, I was trying to get out of it in my head and I'm the one responsible for leading it. I'm like, this is an indication that this is not my greatest strength. And that was from year one. (laughs) But this is what I would say, like the structural organizational driving, when people use that term, apostolic entrepreneurial stuff that we need in the world. I don't have that naturally. But so a lot of the funks, the form of things, the structure I'm not gifted at. But when we talk about the deaf acceptance, letting go, forgiveness, sitting with pain, observing it until you transcend it, getting space from the things of the way your ego's, this is all I know. That's what I know. And so a lot of the functional parts, yeah, I'm the type of person, someone who's more driven would be mad X. I'm like, shit, I didn't delegate well and I'm asking you last minute to do something. I'm sorry, dude, I'm a freaking. you know, that's, I will do that. But the real work, the life within the life is what i get so the acceptance and letting go part is is the toughest part for some people because i'll give it like my second book is about letting go and the idea is like letting go is not one thing we do letting go is the thing that holds together everything we do so whether it's working for justice being a voice of compassion creating growing everything we do requires letting go for us to not only do well but have joy while we're doing it there's always something we need to let go of so for example if if i say hospice care We're going to shut imagine down. Your ego can contract and immediately think of, they're going to think I'm a failure. They're going to think I'm doing this. I'm another victim of COVID. I'm this, I'm that, I'm a million things. And everyone's, I'm trying to control people's perception of me. All of that can get in the way of paying attention to my own voice and to the frequency of my own desires. For me, I'm like, that's, yeah, people will think that, oh, another victim of COVID. Well, technically that's true in some ways, you know? And yeah, it was hard and imagine didn't go on. And for my, I'm glad my wife and I didn't take on the unnecessary burden of this thing has to exist in perpetuity in order for it to maintain its value. No, that was a thing for oh, ten I years. Say that
1: sentence again. Yeah. It doesn't like, have this, to exist forever for it not to have mattered.
2: Yeah, it's no closing it down doesn't devalue it. It expresses the value of it. That was a season. Like that's one term from Christian speak that I refuse to let go of. Is seasons because they're so real.
0: seasons and relationships
2: vocationally in our own souls we all go through springs, summers and winters and falls and you have to know what they are to to ride that wave correctly or at least close to as as good as possible and when you practice that acceptance i'm like this is gonna end and i you know i didn't plan for this especially with covid and i'm like you're not immune to the struggle and other people have narratives, but we know this is good as a family for imagine for everybody. This is it's, it's OK. And that's why even after doing the real grief and the real letting go and the real acceptance, which, you know, I was from October until the beginning of March was the most fragile. And I use that word like intentionally I've ever felt as an adult, just man, little little stuff that wouldn't even phase me. Oh man, it sticks to me more. The thought of one little conflict I used to go through all the time when you're leading. I'm like, I, I, I couldn't even, can't even wrap my head around doing that once. Cause I'm so, I'm, oh, that, was, that was a lot. That was a lot to do in 10 years. But when you do the real work of grief, and for me, my whole foundation of faith is every, the mystic is the one who knows that death is the key to life. Every time you trust the death, it's always resurrection. You know, I'm not I'm not the biggest dogma and doctrine person, even though I I know how to do that stuff. But I'm like, if you don't trust the death and resurrection, your doctrine ain't gonna save you, ain't gonna liberate you, ain't gonna do a damn thing for you until you're doing the real Christ journey. And coming out of that now, like we just had a friend you know check up on us maybe thinking during easter it might be tough as a pastor and you know where we're at they're like how are you guys doing i'm like i'm good like i'm freaking feeling great right now i don't know what that means for imagining cuz i'm not planning that much but like i'm chilling i'm happy i'm excited but a part of the the resurrection energy i'm feeling and i feel myself gaining more capacity for relationship which isn't fully the way it used to be but i can feel myself growing into that I'm like, that comes from the death and the grief of like, this is the last thing I'll say about this. When Christine, my wife asked me last fall, we're just talking all the time at church. Where are we? What are we going to do? She was like, babe, are you going to be sad when Imagine ends? And I said, the hardest part for me will not be watching Imagine end. It'll be watching it die during COVID because I'm present to the suffering in my own body enough to be present along the way of the thousand little deaths prepare you for the big death. It wasn't a surprise. My heart, I'd already done enough to be like, this is a, feels like an organic continuation of this whole journey. And it's tough, but I've, I've been, I've been watching this happen. So
0: you've been watching it die little by little so long. you You might not have seen it. Like, I think that for your church, but I think, I think all of us, maybe Sarah, you can speak of this too. You watching it die, you know, whatever your ministry, your capacity for ministry your love for the church, your belief in God, whatever it happens to be, you're watching it die, but it's, you don't know that you're watching it die sometimes until you finally reach that moment of realization where you're like, Oh, this has been at a death spiral for maybe years. And like, we're now finally coming to the point where like, I'm now I'm, now I'm done. And I remember that, you know, my last year or so of ministry very much feeling that like I'm phoning this in I'm good at me. Ma- I'm good at making people laugh. You know, I was like, I can. I'm, you know, I was a youth pastor at the time, so I could like my comedy routine. Like, I can do that. But like, when it comes to like, all right, now you know, put on the God hat and do the God lesson. I'm like, I, have, I just like, <laughs> you yeah, you just start like like that. It's like that GIF uh from Curb Your Enthusiasm where he's just like. Oh like you just you just like I, I don't know how to do it
2: now and then when you're done preaching it's the other gift from curry where michael sarah just walks in the house takes off his backpack and crumbles yes, yes, <laughs> yes. yeah yeah or
0: just falls the- yeah because yeah, you're exhausted you become more exhausted by the thing now it just it becomes like this vampire that just like takes from takes and takes from you and yeah i think i think just the encouragement for people to to have that internal awareness of where is your energy going? Where is the, where is the loss? Where, where, where are you observing death? Cause I, I think, I think holding onto seasons, is something that is good, but I think holding onto the fullest idea of seasons, cause it's, it's in Christian and least evangelical spaces where I was like, we would talk about seasons, but like death was never a part of that. It was like, we're in a new season of growth. And now we're <laughs> in a new season of growth.
2: Like, <laughs> and now and we're, in winning, new, again. And we're winning, we three, winning the, the next winning. three months the sermon series we're dying <laughs> yeah <laughs> like we don't actually talk about
0: death it's it's funny because like you know christianity on the surface is the death and resurrection it, that's the business that's the that's the juice that's the thing but When you tie that into like American capitalism, it's like, no, 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 no. Like we're always resurrecting. We're never dying. We do not
1: die. There is no, there is
0: no death here. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested though, like your experience in church planting world. Cause like simply because I I was part of a church plant for a few years and did the fundraising thing and very much found myself in the same position of like, y'all have some energy here for this. Uh, that I do not have or care about. And you were with it for 10 years. Like what are maybe some conflicts you had when it comes to like the culture of church planting? And did you figure out a way to survive that? Did you not, how, how was that different for you?
2: Yeah. I, I had enough foresight to know the environment you build the first two to three years determines what you can grow at year five through seven. So you, you try to take shortcuts or compromise your integrity years one through three. Well, then it, all of a sudden in year six, you're trying to take people places and they're just resisting because, and that, that was intentional you didn't, that's a part of the culture and you didn't realize it, what you were doing. And, you know, we had, I had a denomination, someone hooked me up like, oh, you should hook a, you know, talk to this denomination. And they're like, hey, here's our process. They'll give you 300 grand. You know, they break it down into three. It's typically you know, like, I'm assuming like people have their processes, which is cool. You know, they're doing good things in the world. That's fine. So it's like, year one, you get this, Year two, you're three, money gone. By that point, you're financially sustaining and then you kick back to us and that's how it works, right? And I was like, that makes it easier in some ways to go with 300 grand to no money, obviously. I'm like, but how can people who, especially Hawaii is such a unique culture that people, if you don't, we're not from here, you just don't get it. I'm like, how could anybody from another state be responsible for making decisions about what we're doing here on the ground and what we sense the spirit of God's doing? That's ridiculous. I'm not waiting three months with people who don't know us to have any role in a decision that we're discerning together or I'm discerning or whatever in this community with these people, you don't even know. And I knew my, I knew myself well enough where I'm like, I value creative freedom and personal integrity more than almost anything. And I'm like, I'm going to be me when I'm here. I'm, I'm going gonna to be, be
1: me. Sorry.
2: Exactly. Me. Today's the right day. No, it is. May. Today is right the day. It's first. It's be May. Nice. It, actually, it actually is. Yeah. May. And I, I could not, I was unwilling to take on anything that would get in the way of that. And that means, you know, we never had money. I'm like, I would joke around with friends who pastor at big churches. I'd like, you could take one family from your church and their yearly giving is more than we get in a year. I'm like, so tell them to adopt us. it never happened. But, but <laughs>
0: that I think
2: never was, the, that, was like, the like that was the thing for me. It's the foresight of who we want to become in years five through seven. I can't allow anything to get in the way of that. The kind of the kind of welcoming, inclusive, everyone's at home, whatever your values are. For me, I I those bureaucracy. You know, structures and wisdom is good. Bureaucracy is not from my perspective. It gets in the way of the spirit. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of that. And I just don't like meetings. I'm not, I just I can't handle more meetings. Dude, I hate them. <laughs> so I'm not going to take money just for that. But we created, we, I had to create my own unique path, you know, like getting grants. And this is like a grant for two years. And I'm like, okay, like I have to raise support on my own, you know, as a missionary. Like I raise my own, because, and I'm willing Raise, I spent a year, like in year four or something, raising support. It was one of the hardest things I ever did in my life because I'm not a closer. I don't have that cutthroat, like, kill. Here's the hard ask. I'm like, Ugh, I mean, uh, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Or don't.
1: And, yeah. Give or don't.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I
2: don't yeah. know. Like, fine. Just...
0: Oh my gosh. I remember phone calls with people, like, and like, well, you know, if you want to give, great. If not, like, we're still friends. Fine. Like, whatever, whatever, dude. I don't know like yeah. uh uh hang up
2: <laughs> When when yeah. I was when I was support raising you know think about if you know any Enneagram 5s ask them what they think about support raising it's the worst thing like they they couldn't do it dude. it's horrible. And I would go, I was at a co-working space at the time and I, they had a phone booth in there. You know, you can go in and make calls and stuff. And I would go and I'd be like, I'm committing the next hour and a half to do this. Cause that's where we were at. That's what was required for the truth of my life and the life of God in me and through me and as me to come into the world required this thing that I hated doing, but I did it because it is the, created the path for the integrity. You know, that's why I did it. And I seriously would like, you know, it's like low hanging fruit. You're like, this guy, this person will give thanks. Then there's like the harder ones. And I would like look at my phone and I would like sit in the booth. And I was like, if I, if I think about it, I won't do it. So I, I literally out loud, have to be like, fuck it. And I would just click it and just be like, yeah. don't pick up, don't <laughs> <Yeah>. pick up. <laughs> hey guys. So anyways, we haven't talked for years. Hey buddy. I, hey, buddy. I, like and, an MLM. Uh, yeah. Multi-level marketing. Yeah. And so honestly, Justin, like the path. The financial path was definitely clunky and difficult. And we were always imagine was always on the edge of having no money. I mean, we never had money. We were always on the edge of like, I remember in 2016, we ended that year. We had like 900 bucks in the bank account and with the church and 90% of like our family's <laughs> income was about to be gone like 90% of our family's income. Cause we just had our first kid. My wife didn't open her private. My wife eventually opened her private practice. She's a therapist and like crushes it. But we, we didn't do that yet. We were in this building stage of stuff. And that's the thing for me is like, again, the leadership to like, what's your budget. I'm like, we never made a budget in 10 years. I didn't do that. I'm just <laughs> we're like, we're
1: just hoping to pay our bills wait,
2: when you have 900 uh, pay, bucks I, I, in the cash reserves. You don't, yeah. you don't have a budget. <laughs>
0: What's no, I'm like, yes. we're just answer, making yes. it work,
2: you know, and, and amazing things happened. And again, the leadership part stuff, the, the structural, you know, I really suck at in a lot of ways, but when you walk to the edge of a path, even when you're responsible for community and you're like, Hey, let's keep walking towards that edge. And we're either going to die or something amazing is going to happen. Cause that's what faith actually is. is trusting when you walk off of the edge, that threshold, you're always going to be born again. And there's a new path. That's what I was good at. Yeah, So here's that. the thing
1: is like, you're training a whole group of people to believe that the end is still amazing.
2: Exactly. So it's not
1: an either, right? It's not like either we get to the end and this thing grows and now we're song United and we have record deals. Or I teach you how to, we teach each other how to let go of something that was beautiful and wonderful. And that doesn't mean it's, it failed. When something doesn't continue, it doesn't mean it failed in our culture there is this like terrible toxicity to words unless it is forever then it is a failure so we don't know how to talk about the like i think about like friends of mine who have gone through divorces but like yet yeah, there were still beautiful things and you have beautiful kids and like actually you guys are really great at co-parenting but then but hallmark taught them that they should be really mad and they lost or churches that aren't like forever Yeah, but what if like for 10 years, the space you created was a space that allows people for their entire lives to be different? And I think that is the thing that so many of the people that listen to this podcast feel is like, I gave all this, was it worth it? And the answer is you may not know yet, but there's so many people that have had an experience because of who you are and how you showed up that their lives will forever be different. We can't, we can't monetize that. We have no way. Of, you can't
2: quant, you
0: can't quantify metrics? It. Yeah. There's no, no metrics. There's no metrics to that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so I think as I was reading your book, it's so funny because I, I think sometimes because of who I have been within evangelical spaces or non-denom spaces or even fuller ad- indoor mm. spaces, my first reaction as as a woman who has, study liberation theology and cares so much about um, those who are marginalized and LGBTQIA inclusion, there's a wall. And I remember Mm -hmm. that, like, just thinking, and yet, as I read your book, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Or even like the first time we chatted as people, I was like, no, 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 this person is on the other side of it. Someone Mm who is willing to say, yeah, here's how I see this, but also I'm willing for things to be open I would love as we close this out, because we ask everyone, like, what is something that you can say for people who are watching the thing they love die or stepping away from ordination that meant so much to them? They work so hard for it. I think the gift of how you exist in the world is that you allow endings to be beautiful and almost something that makes regenerative. What would you say if, if, because you worked so hard for this, I know you cared about this church you created. I know there's grief in it. What is something that you could say to folks who are looking at the end of something that they really, really cared about? I know that's huge. So sorry for putting yeah. you in a big spot.
2: Mm-hmm. No, but take, that, take, take your time. That's fine. I mean, that is the question. Because if I tell people like, yeah, I can say like, man, I'm, I'm excited about where things are going right now. I just gave 10 years and you know, your, your thirties is a special time.
1: (laughs) You gave it. It really
2: is. I, I did this from 28 to basically 38. Like the, the risks my wife and I took to get here the first two weeks of sleeping on a floor before our luggage gets here. And like, it's just hard. And you're like, what are we going to do? How the hell does this work? And going to the first big events in this neighborhood, even though I was familiar with it, and it's like, how do you even begin and meeting people? And then the, when you first start dealing with the losses then and you realize, oh, it's not a couple losses, a perpetual movement of loss is built into pastoring. That's one of the hard things people don't know. It's a perpetual movement of loss, relationships changing. Sometimes they're falling out. Sometimes nice people just leave. It's a ghost, or sometimes nice people move on and it's good, but it's still hard. And all the loss you go through and the ways it can change you, depending on how you respond to it, like it's not a small thing. That's what I would say to people, whatever you just did is not a small thing. Other people will never understand it unless they're a pastor, what it's like. It's just one of those things. And to me, it's one of the hardest things in the world. I really believe that to do it well and to give your heart to it. And the finding what is within you, the facing of it, the feeling of it in its fullness, and then finally being able to forgive and accept it and let go. There's no way to get around that. It's the last thing every human being wants to do is truly embrace, accept and grieve the old. And it's the one thing we all need to learn how to do. And that is going, that is going to be really hard. And the amazing discovery of why I'm a Christian and why the story makes sense to me is every time you do that, there's always more life. Every time there's a death, there's always more resurrection. Every time you surrender the boundaries that you thought structured and made you, you, you actually discover we're getting in the way of you being more you into the future. So that is for me is it's always, yeah, and of course you're carrying the wounds with you and some of that stuff will take more time to totally heal from, but the expansion and the widening and the unfolding of your own life. Like you can have, you can pastor for 10 years and still have your heart open in the end. You can pastor for 10 years and still be like, I can still love people. I'm sure it's ain't going back to that role personally, but I can still love people and I can still create. And even for me taking this risk of writing, there was no guarantee on the first book. I didn't, I didn't build, spend seven years building a platform. I, I was very hyper local where I was at. And, but I was like, you know what? I want this, like, I really want this and I'm going to try and I'm going to put it out there and I'm going to really not, I'm not going to play it cool and act like it's not a big deal. No, I really want to make this work because I really sense this is a part of the next part of my life. And I would say to those people, you are not that role. And this is, and I'll end by this, the form can change, but the flow of the life of God within you will remain. The structure will change and the substance of who you are and the love and care that you bring into this world remains the same. And it's like, I'm still me. I'm still saying the same things. I'm still going to be, keep doing what I'm doing. Cause I didn't, I didn't do the things I was doing because I was a pastor. It's, it's accurate to call me a pastor. Cause I was doing the things I was doing and I'm going to keep doing those things. So the form can change, but the flow just keeps on going. And honestly, it might even get, it, you might even feel more free and less burning and more relieved when you find finding creative ways to do it in our changing environment. So yeah, always Kevin, my life. Yes.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this episode. Please check out Kevin's book. Pre-order it, it although it's coming out at the end of this month. Um, and so make sure that you get a copy of it. It is, uh, It really is a fun read. It's a fun read. Even if someone who knows you, it's a fun read. So make sure that you check it out. And again, thank you for joining us for another episode over of RuffCup.com. Hi, friends. Thanks for listening to another episode of Rev Covery. I hope that you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did with Kevin. And I want to give you a couple of announcements before we hear this week's saying. Actually, it's not a poem this time. First of all, if you are interested in being part of our Discord or if you're interested in supporting us, the way to do that is by going to patreon.com slash revcovery. You can also support anyone who needs coaching. If you feel like that's something that was important to you and you want to uh, support that, you can support that through going to soulleader.org. And soulleader is spelled S-O-U-L-E-A-D-E-R.org. And you can just go to give, drop down Sarah Heath, and that makes sure that folks can get coaching even if they can't afford it. All right. So this week's episode ended a little bit talking about how sometimes we just have to let things go. And so I wanted to share kind of a unique thing, not a poem. It's not even a John O'Donohue poem or a Mary Oliver poem. I wanted to share to you from Stephen King, believe it or not. So this was a quote that I saved a long time ago that I love that's from Shawshank Redemption from his uh, book, actually Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption. Some birds are not meant to be caged. That's all. Their feathers are too bright. Their songs too sweet and wild. So you let them go. And when you open the cage to feed them, they somehow fly out past you. And the part of you that knows it was wrong to imprison them in the first place rejoices. But still, the place where you live is that much more drab and empty for their departure. I don't know why, but this conversation with Kevin reminded me of this quote, this idea that sometimes we are not meant to fit in the cages that we put ourselves in. So friends, I hope that you have had an excellent week and I look forward to connecting to you in, uh, on all the spaces you can find us at recovery on Instagram and the recovery room on, I believe it's the recovery room on Twitter. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.